Authors Over 50, Writing in Life's Sweetest Third. Authors Over 50's weekly podcast celebrates writers and their journeys to publication. Writing after 50 is a whole story on its own, so let's skip to Life's Sweetest Third and talk with authors about their journey from pen to publish. Welcome, I'm Julia Daly, your host, and I invite you to listen to interviews with writers who've achieved their goal of publishing a book just later in life. We've seen award lists for under 30 or under 40, but I've yet to see lists for those who've achieved a significant milestone of their own, launching a new career and publishing their first book after the age of 50. We will hear about these authors' inspirations, struggles, strategies, and the smell of that first book. These writers' journeys inspire me because I'm one of them. 55 years after my guest father climbed out on a hotel ledge and threatened to jump, an event that made national news, my guest stepped into a crosswalk and was mowed down by a pickup truck. The accident, which nearly killed her, propelled her on a remarkable emotional journey that started with the unraveling of her own brush with death and then unexpectedly goes on to heal the childhood trauma buried deep within. She's a graduate of Boston University with a degree in political science and of New York Law School with a Juris Doctor degree. After practicing law rather unhappily for 22 years, she finally found the courage to change careers at 48 and became a very happy seventh grade social studies teacher. Welcome to Authors Over 50, Amy Turner. Thanks so much, Julia. I'm delighted to be here. Amy, our opening question on Authors Over 50 is always, so what took you so long to write your first book? Well, not that I recommend this, but in my case, it seemed I needed to be hit by a truck to write my memoir. Um, Actually, I was, and that didn't happen until I was 53. I have to say that, you know, for most of my life, I wanted to be a writer, but I just could never get beyond a certain point. I call it kind of sludge. I would get stuck. It didn't seem authentic. I was experiencing a lot of anxiety and I always hit dead ends. I gave up and thought, you know, it's just not for me. And, uh, you know, a dream that I would have to defer. And so at 53, I was in a crosswalk and a truck mowed me down. Miraculously, I didn't have any broken bones, but needless to say, there was a recovery process, and equally sudden, about um, a month later, my brother unexpectedly died. So I was very shaken. And months later, I found myself writing a thank you note to our high school English teacher, uh, who was a wonderful writer, and thanking her for coming to my brother's memorial. And I ended up telling her the story of my accident. And somehow this channel just became unblocked. And the words started to flow. And I found myself way beyond the bounds of the thank you notes. I put that aside, uh, sent it, and then just kept writing. And that's how eventually I wrote this memoir. But I hadn't set out to do that. But I realized it was taking some kind of form. And while I'm I'm kidding about getting hit by a truck, 
I do think it wasn't until I reached my 50s that I probably had the distance, the experience, um, the understanding to be able to write my story in an authentic way. So um, the truck and my brother's death kind of propelled it, but it probably would have happened anyway. Was your family supportive of this memoir? Sometimes families don't want their stories told. Well, that's a good question. Uh, Part of it, too, probably, uh, was that my parents had both passed away by then. Uh, My brother, who was going to be a a big part of the memoir, obviously, also had passed away. And I could not tell my my siblings, my sister and my brother who were alive. I felt that if I told them I was going to have their voices in my head, their stories, and I would get confused about my own memory and perspective. And I also have a very vocal internal critic, and both my siblings are good writers, so I didn't want to add them to the chorus. Um, So I didn't tell them until the very end. I didn't know what to expect. I thought they might be upset that I'd kind of withheld this important information. And to my great gratitude and surprise, they were incredibly supportive. It was really wonderful. And I know it's a fraught area for memoirs. And I was able to do this with my story, but I did kind of keep their stories out of my memoir. It was my perspective on um, growing up in the family. And I really believe that they could tell their own stories at some point, and it wasn't essential to mine. That's a very good way of looking at it, because when I was telling my story, it had a thread of memoir running through it, but I made it fiction so I could Mm. step back and have that distance because they were still people who were still alive and and I didn't want to tell their stories. So you you chose a good way to to look at that. Yes. And I I I'm well aware my sister's listening to me. She also passed away recently and I know she's listening. And I would say that I I would have maybe written a chapter about our relationship, but um uh but I didn't want to do it when she was alive because she wouldn't then be able to really tell her perspective. So um, that made it easy for me to tell my story that I didn't have to worry about really about uh, reactions of others. Although I am talking about our parents and they have their views of them too. Well, it sounds like you experienced a great deal of childhood trauma and a lot of loss in your life. Mm-hmm. Did this book help you with that or did it it really bring it to the surface more well i would say that you know some people talk about writing memoirs as a form of therapy and i didn't certainly set out to do that i'd had plenty of therapy but the story is of my recovery from these traumas and so the writing of the recovery also involved some recovery because I had to really get to the truth of it all, which involves, you know, re-experiencing or for me, trying really trying to get as close as I could to the true feelings so that I could convey it to the reader. So in a sense, 
you know, there's a bit of therapy in that because you're getting to places you didn't know you were setting out to, to reach. Um, and I would say to memoirists who are writing about somewhat difficult topics to make sure they take a break and take care of themselves and have people to talk to. But it was a overall just a wonderful experience because by the time I had finished the book, I felt I understood sort of the narrative of my life in a way I hadn't before. And through that process, there was healing as well. That's really important. Mm -hmm. Yes, I'm grateful. Once you knew you had to write this book, how did you proceed? Did you search for an agent, decide to choose a hybrid, a small press, or did you self-publish? Well, I, as I say, I didn't start out to write a book, but once I realized that I, it was taking shape and I wanted it to be the best it could be, um, and I got a writing coach, and it was all about making the manuscript the best it could be. I really wasn't thinking about necessarily publishing it. But when it came to that, I started, I made some attempts at writing conferences to pitch agents, but I knew memoir is a tough genre. You're not a celebrity and so forth. Um, and don't have maybe a very topical issue also you know, related to your memoir, which I didn't have. So I, at my age, I just thought, you know, I just can't bear to face the rejection that I'm going to undoubtedly face over the course of maybe two years before I find, even I'm being positive, you know, that I'd find an agent. I just wasn't up for it. So I decided to look into alternatives and I came upon She Writes Press, which was recommended to me by a writing coach I respected. And uh, so that's a hybrid publisher. And I went with She Writes Press and the book is coming out September 6th. And it's really kind of a partnership, self-publishing in the sense that um, you have kind of control over your story and there's a lot of work you need to do, but you have the benefit of an experienced publisher who's doing your cover, making sure the editing is up to standard and traditional distribution. So it was a good experience. It has been a good experience. Well, She Writes Press is very well respected in the industry, and they certainly build a wonderful community of, of women writers. Yes, yes, that's really a wonderful. We have Facebook groups, and then we break off and form smaller groups, and there's a lot of mutual support, as well as exchange of tips and information, because there is really, there's a steep learning curve your first time around. Well, I felt the same way when I was deciding how to publish. You know, I was um, far over the age of 50, and I thought, I don't want to spend two years yes. trying to get an agent and two more years for them to right. try to sell the book and two more years to see it, you know, published. So exactly. <laughs> so I think it at our age that um, that any way that you can get it out into the world, we have so many options today. So I think it's, it's great to to be able to do that. Yes, I do, too. And I think the um, the readers are open to that. 
there's so many different options and so many ways to get your books out there. And readers just want a good story, want a good read, and they're not really looking at the name of the publisher. Well, how did you structure your book? Did you just use a certain period of time? Did you uh, talk about your entire life? How did you structure your plot? Well, thank you for asking that question. Um, So when I started out, I was writing about the accident moving forward in terms of accident and recovery. And I found myself digressing every couple of pages to a memory, a flashback, something from my past. And after a few people read it, they said, you know, this is great, but, you know, my head is spinning. I'm, I'm flashing back to this decade, then to another decade, then I'm present. I don't know where I am. I thought, well, what can I do? Because the backstory is important. How can I do this? And so I was working with a writing coach at the time. Uh, and she, I, I give all credit to her. She said, It worked out perfectly. She said, you know, why don't you have the A line, the accident line, which is the accident and your recovery moving forward in time. And then the B line, which in my my hometown is Bronx Hill. So it's the Bronx Hill story. So what I ended up doing is taking my manuscript, and I must have had 180 pages at that point, ripping it apart, well, on the computer. (laughs) Well, actually, no ripping it apart and using colored index cards, going with actually every paragraph is this A line, B line, putting it up on a poster on the wall and then moving the cards around until I had braided chapters. So accident chapter, a B chat, you know, a backstory chapter. And it alternated until the end. And then I was sort of in the accident there was a momentum and I stayed in the accident line Um, when she suggested it. And I thought about the process of doing it. I thought, how in heaven am I going to do this? But for anybody who's considering doing that, it is so worth it. And somehow if that's the right structure, it will come to be. And I should say too, in subsequent drafts, things got moved around, but That's how I came to the structure. Well, that's pretty much the way I write my books. I love a before and an after, and I like them to follow along, you know, every other chapter. So I love that structure. Oh, good. I, I did too. And I don't know if you found this as you're writing in one, you may not have thought of it before, but as you're writing, you see the connection to either the, the, the sort of present or the past that comes up and you say, oh, there's my link, my hook into the next chapter, which makes it fun. Well, why don't you take your book and and set us up and tell us where we are in the story and read a few paragraphs for us so that we can hear your tone and voice in the book. Okay, thank you. I'd love to. Um, If it's okay, I'd like to read a paragraph from the prologue because I, I have two inciting incidents, my father climbing out on the ledge and, of course, my accident. So I'll read from the prologue, and then I'm going to switch over to the accident. That's okay. So this is the prologue. On a cold November morning in 1957, as Yale students crossed the green to their first classes, hotel employees cleaned up breath- 
breakfast dishes, and three priests went out for a walk. My father, pajama-clad and barefoot, climbed out on the ledge of his hotel window and threatened to jump. Some 50 feet below, the fire truck arrived. Three firemen cranked the extension ladder to the floor below him, while others tried to gauge a jump's trajectory and positioned a circular net. Those in the growing crowd craned their necks to take in every moment of the unfolding drama. Soon hundreds of people were staring up at him. And then we, in the first chapter, we go to my accident. And as I say, I was crossing the street in a crosswalk and the truck dragged me. And um, I will just say that I mentioned Matt and he's my, my uh, son. A, a car door slammed. Oh God, I'm so sorry. I looked up. Through a foggy haze, I saw a tall, slim young man with blonde hair. Was it Matt? Don't worry, I'm alive, I'm alive, I'll be okay, I told him. I wanted to hug him and let him know that I forgave him for this accident, forgave him for everything, that all that matters in this world is how we love, and I loved him no matter what. I could move my arm now, but a hug meant getting up. So instead, I reached for whatever I could touch. The outside of his calf, it turned out, and I and patted it. As I looked up at him, the picture cleared a little. I was forgiving a stranger. A cop appeared next to him. We're going to get the truck off you. Don't move because your foot is touching the tire. I couldn't move, so I was sure this wouldn't be a problem, but the thought scared me even more than I already was. Desperate to find a joke that might distract me, I said, okay, as long as you don't let the driver do it. Wow. That's just a position right there. I mean, you've got some drama going on from the prologue to your accident and then your joke. Those those were great. Thank you very much. I do find um, humor is always a defense mechanism and a form of its own therapy. I and I'm glad that there is uh, I was able to keep some in the that it comes across in the memoir, but I had to be careful mm. not to be glib. Yes, if you had my husband's sense of humor, it wouldn't come across well. Nobody would get it. <laughs> Do you have any unpublished or half-finished books? Do you have another book in you? Well, you know, I don't know. I've been so busy with the beginning, the promotion, and writing around the memoir for promotion and marketing purposes. But my great grandmother, my father's uh, grandmother is always in the back of my mind. And I think there's a story there. She lived a hundred years, remembers Lincoln's funeral pr procession and died in the forties. I feel like there's something there, whether it's um, nonfiction or, or historical fiction. So once this is, my mind is cleared from this memoir, I, I want to sit down and see what comes out on that. Well, I know that um, publicists have you doing a lot of publicity pre-publication. What have you been doing that you think might actually work? Well, um, yes, you're right. I'm hoping uh, one of the things that my publicist has set up is a virtual blog tour. So you write articles for other people's blogs so their readers get to see it and like, uh, get a taste of what your book's about and hopefully buy it. So I think that um, that will be helpful. Uh, also, 
um, that blogs as well as book club tours. So I'm hoping that that will work. And then, you know, just the PR of getting a name in the newspaper. And I hope, you know, once the book is um, out, I think I've in some ways, I think this is good advice for authors to make sure they set aside some of their budget for actual marketing. PR is important, but so I plan to do Facebook ads and now everybody's doing Amazon ads, which is kind of a new thing. Um, so I'm going to get up to speed on that. So it's a little soon for me to tell what's going to work, but those are the things that I'll be trying. Was there anything that you edited out of your book? I know you said you would have put maybe a chapter about your sister and your relationship there, but was there anything that you just could not put in the book? Well, there wasn't anything huge. Um, mostly it was taking out things that didn't propel the story forward that distracted because you, I'm, you may have come across this when you're doing that braided back and forth. Sometimes you can go too far back and go into much, too much detail about a certain anecdote and it, experience. And it's very important to you and it feels so related, but a reader reads it and says, well, I don't understand why is this in here? So there were a bunch of those things. And I don't think my teenage son, Peter, will be listening to this. I did take out a scene with my teenage son, Peter, who hadn't called me when I'd been hit by the, by the truck. He'd been in New York City and just hadn't gotten around to returning my calls. So when he did call and I said, well, it's good to call your mother, especially if she's been hit by a truck. <laughs> you could heap, so, heap that maternal guilt on him. Absolutely. <laughs> and I had a little scene in there. And they said, if people said, no, no, that doesn't make you sound like a very nice mother. <laughs> okay. I took it out, but I can't resist. So there were mostly the edits were things that didn't move the story forward. That happened to me as well. My father um, had a syrup meal where they ground the cane and made the syrup. And that Ooh. was always a, a favorite part of my childhood, especially putting it on hot biscuits, you know, in the morning. Ooh. And yeah. I had it described so beautifully and it was such a lovely section and my editor said why is this even in here what does this have to do with it who cares <laughs> so you do have to kill your darlings sometimes exactly and then I you know edits later I realized why was I so attached but in the moment it's tough <laughs> what do you think was the best money you've ever spent as a writer well, that's easy for me to answer, and I'm grateful for that. I, as I said, you know, I just started writing, and then I realized, gosh, I don't really know what I'm doing I, in terms of structure and memoir. So I signed up for a class at the Iowa Summer Writing Festival uh, at the University of Iowa, Iowa City, and I signed up for the class with Hope Edelman, who's the author of Motherless Daughters and the After Grief. She was a it was just weekend. She was a phenomenal teacher. And as a teacher, I, I really respect good teachers. And I can see one, you know, um, it's easy for me to pick them out. So uh, I loved the class. And then she offered a manuscript length class the next summer. 
that was by um, application and I got into it. And so those two classes, and then I worked with her as a coach, but I'd say, so the first bit expenditure was really taking that class with a phenomenal teacher that really got me going. Uh, I just think that teachers are just so underutilized and so um, not celebrated. Um, my mother was a teacher. I Ooh. was a teacher. My daughter's oh. a teacher. And you left the law to be a teacher. Are you still teaching seventh grade? No, I did retire, you know, before the pandemic. And uh, I, I am grateful for that. And I have so much respect and compassion for my colleagues you know, all over who taught during the pandemic, what's challenging enough. Uh, but I loved it. I mean, it's, we know, you know, it's really tough on a daily basis, but the rewards are wonderful. I'm still in touch with students. And um, I really, I got so much out of it. I'm so glad I made the career switch. Well, Amy, our, our last question of the interview is always, our writers over 50 are a unique set. Do you have any advice for writers 50 and above? Well, this I, is perhaps a cliche, but you know, based on my experience, I had kind of given up. And I would just recommend that people don't give up. You know, it will come. Keep at it. I know someone recently who's 80 who got her MFA and she's going to have a manuscript published. And I really feel that at this age, we have so much accumulated wisdom and experience that really enriches our writing. So I would just say, stay with it. You don't know where it's going to take you. And um, even if it doesn't take you exactly where you want to go, it's, really rewarding and there'll be there's so much personal growth around it so keep keep at it is what i would say i agree i think we have lots left to say and mm -hmm. and rich experiences to draw upon so I, I think we're in the right place at the right time and i call this our life's sweetest third i love that I love that. That's going to be my mantra when I'm having a bad day. So thank you so much, Amy, for being with us, for your advice and sharing your journey. And we're happy to say that you're now one of our authors over 50. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you for joining us today. Please look for Authors Over 50 every Thursday when we will have conversations with accomplished debut novelists over the age of 50. Please subscribe and share with a friend. And check out my own publication journey after 50 at www.juliadaily, that's D-A-I-L-Y, like dailynewspaper.com. Until next time, keep reading and writing. And remember, it's never too late to fulfill a dream in life's sweetest third.